Vishnupad Paramhamsa Parivraja Kacharja Asta Tatarashi Srimad Eti Vatsivanta Sila Prabhupad Ki Ananta Kota Vaishnavrinda Ki All glories to the assembled devotees All glories to the assembled devotees All glories to the assembled devotees All glories, all glories to Shishi Guru and Gauranga All glories to Srila Prabhupad Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Omagyana Timarandasya Janajana Shalakaya Chakshur Ulmiritam Jena Tasmai Shri Guruve Namaha. I was born in the darkest ignorance, and my spiritual master opened my eyes with the torch of knowledge. 
I offer my respectful obeisances unto him. Shri Chaitanya Mano Vistam Sapitam Jena Bhutale Swayam Rupa Kadamayam Tadatitswa Padantikam When will Srila Rupa Goswami Prabhupada, who was established within this material world, the mission to fulfill the desire of Lord Chaitanya, give me shelter under his lotus feet? Vancha kalpa tarubhyascha kripa sanubhyevacha patitanam pavanebhyo vaishnavebhyo namo namaha. I offer my respectful obeisances unto the Vaishnava devotees of the Lord. They are just like desire trees and can fulfill the desires of everyone. And they are full of compassion for the fallen conditioned souls. Jai Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Shri Advaita Gadadhar Shri Vasadi Gaurabhaktivrinda I offer my respectful obeisances unto Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, Lord Nityananda, Sri Advaita, Gadadhar Pandit, Sri Thakur, and all the devotees of Lord Chaitanya. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. I pray that Krishna, Srila Prabhupada, and Srila Gurudev, Use me as an instrument so that their message can flow through me to give me the words to serve all the Vaishnavas listening. Today is Tuesday, January 29th, 2021. I am Jai Sri Radhe Devi reading from Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 1, Creation, Chapter 8, Prayers by Queen Kunti and Parikshit Saved, Text 17. Brahma tejo vinir mukter. Atma jai saha krishnaya. Prayana mukham krishnam. Idam aha prita sati. Brahma teja. The radiation of the Brahmastra. Vinir muktai. Being saved from Atma Jai, along with her sons, Saha with Krishnaya Draupadi, Prayana outgoing, Abhimukyam towards Krishnam unto Lord Krishna. Idam this, Aha said, Prita Kunti, Sati. Chaste, devoted to the Lord. Translation and purport by His Divine Grace, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Srila Prabhupada. Thus, saved from the radiation of the Brahmastra, Kunti, the chaste devotee of the Lord, and her five sons and Draupadi, addressed Lord Krishna as he started for home. Purport. Kunti is described herein as sati, or chaste, due to her unalloyed devotion to Lord Sri Krishna. Her mind will now be expressed in the following prayers for Lord Krishna. A chaste devotee of the Lord does not look to others, namely any other living being or demigod, even for deliverance from danger. That was all along the characteristic of the whole family of the Pandavas. They knew nothing except Krishna. And therefore, the Lord was always ready to help them in all respects and in all circumstances. That is the transcendental nature of the Lord. He reciprocates the dependence of the devotee. One should not, therefore, look for help from imperfect living beings or demigods, 
but one should look for all help from Lord Krishna, who is competent to save his devotees. Such a chaste devotee also never asks the Lord for help, but the Lord, out of his own accord, is always anxious to render it. So today, we're discussing how Krishna always saves his devotees. But more than that, it's our attitude towards Krishna. And Prabhupada here describes it as chaste. So according to the purport, a chaste devotee is one who does not look to others, namely other living being or other demigods, even for deliverance from danger. And they depend on God under all circumstances. They never ask for help. So even though they depend on God, they don't ask for help. It's kind of a um, interesting contradiction here. Right? They depend on God, but they're not asking for help. And I've heard it said in some ways that as devotees, and when we realize that we are devotees of Krishna and servants of Krishna, there are certain things that we expect from Krishna, like in some ways that we're entitled to. And that is, Krishna will look out for us. We'll, he'll protect us. We don't have to worry about what's going to happen to us once we surrender ourselves to Krishna, because he will always take care of us. So we don't have to ask for help. We don't even have to think that he's going to give it to us. We just depend on him. And whatever happens is his mercy. Because we know with full faith that whatever is happening is for our pure benefit, even if it doesn't seem like it. And we know that this example is never more exemplified than with Queen Kunti. She suffered so much at the hands of um, Duryodhan and the... I forgot how to say it. Uh, the Kauravas? Anyway. Kauravas, yes. Why are you blanked on that? Kauravas. You know, they tried to kill the, the, her and her sons in so many different ways. And every time, she never actually begged Krishna for help. She's, she just surrendered. Whatever is going to happen, it's your will, was her thought process. But also knowing that Krishna was always going to save them, even if it doesn't look like it from the outset. So this is a very different definition of chaste than when we think of the word chaste. Prabhupada defines it as someone who's solely dependent on Krishna, whereas the modern definition of chaste is abstaining from extramarital or from all sexual intercourse not having any sexual nature or intention, and also without unnecessary ornamentation, simple or restrained. Now, certainly all of these definitions are included within one who does not depend on others or looks to others for any kind of joy or enjoyment or anything, really. It's just interesting how that differs from what Prabhupada here has stated as chaste. And I did a quick search, as much as you can, through the database to see all the definitions of chaste. 
And Prabhupada over and over defines it as one who is surrendered to Krishna. And so that can apply to all, every single one of us. Every single one of us are trying, are striving to be chaste devotees of the Lord. And the other thing that comes up when we're reading this is that when we encounter danger, we tend to think of we have two reactions, fight or flight. Right? We can stand our ground and fight whatever danger there is, or we can run away from it. There's also other things that we can do that sometimes we tend to do is deny it. We deny that there's any danger, um, or we ignore it. Just like an ostrich sticks its head in the ground so it doesn't have to deal with anything else that's going around, going on. Many of us tend to do that metaphorically. We stick our head in the ground to ignore whatever danger, and it could be any kind of danger, right? I've I know I've been guilty of, um, let's say there's a bill or something that I have to pay and I may not have the finances for it, then I just kind of ignore it. And that doesn't seem like anything dangerous, but let's say it's an electric bill. Well, my electricity can turn off. And and this kind of heat, that can be quite dangerous. Although today is a cooler day, and so... You know, our usual Texas heat, not having electricity, can be kind of dangerous. But still, my ignoring the bills doesn't mean that it's going to go away. It's just I cho- I'm choosing not to deal with it. I guess in some ways that could be a flight-type response, but it's really more just an ignoring, like pretending like it doesn't even exist. And we do that with many things, even with the current pandemic um, virus that's going around, many people are choosing to deny that there's any kind of concern whatsoever. And, you know, in doing so, they can put themselves or and other people in more danger that could be more susceptible to the disease, to the infection. And then the other thing that we can do when we encounter danger is to pray and depend on Krishna, depend on God. So our prayer really is that, Krishna, I'm facing this danger, and however you want me to overcome it, I will overcome it in that way. Whatever you want me to learn from this danger, whatever you want me to um, do, I will do. And at the same time, we are given skills and knowledge and talent to deal with the danger. Arjuna was a great warrior, and he was given many skills and talents, and he depended on Krishna, and part of Krishna's guidance for him was to use his skills and talents that he's learned his whole life to fight in the battle of Kurukshetra. It wasn't that, okay, you're depending on me, and I will take care of it for you, He's like, i taking care of it for you by providing you with the skills. So we also have to understand how Krishna provides us with the help that we need in times of danger. There's a story I'm sure many of us are familiar with. with um, you know, There's a, a major flood that happens, and this devout devotee of God climbs up on top of his house to get away from the rising waters. 
and a rowboat comes along, and they tell the you know the people in the rowboat tell the person, "Hey, come into our rowboat. We will, you know, take you to safety." And the person says, "No, my God will save me. I'm going to. I have full faith, so I'm going to wait for Him." And then another person with a motorboat, a speedboat, comes along and says, "You know, come. We will take you to safety." And that person says, "No, I." have full faith that my God will save me and I'm going to wait here for him. So the motorboat goes away. A helicopter then comes and, you know, says, come on, we'll throw you a rope. You can climb up into the helicopter. We'll take you to safety. And the person says, no, I'm waiting for my God to save me. My God will save me. Eventually the waters rise to the level where it's above his house and he drowns. And when he reaches the pearly gates of heaven, God says to him, he says to God, God, why didn't you save me? I had full faith that you would save me. He goes, what do you mean? I sent you a rowboat, a motorboat, and a helicopter. What more do you want? And that's how sometimes it is. We expect that God's rescue will look a certain way, and if it doesn't, we don't accept it. But God's rescue can come in many different forms. So we just have to be open and willing to to see that God can save us in many different ways, whether it's in the form of masks or vaccines or many other different ways that we can be protected and protect others from the dangers that are currently um, affecting us in this modern world. In a lecture, Srila Prabhupada in 1975 says, Prayer is needed because we are in danger. Actually, we pray when we are in great danger. Suppose there is immediately there is some earthquake or there is some danger. Naturally, spontaneously, we pray. But we forget it. The prayer, the tendency of offering prayer to the Lord at the time of danger is automatic. So we should know that we are in danger. We are in this material condition of life That means we are in danger. Therefore, we should pray. We must pray to pick him up, for him to pick us up. That is the necessity of prayer. So Prabhupada is saying here that no matter what our skills and talents are, we always still pray. And in that prayer, we will get, he will pick us up. And part of that picking us up can be telling us how to use our skills and prayers. And it can be indirectly or directly, like Krishna does with Arjuna, and can be indirectly. Prabhupada goes on to say in that same lecture, just like if you are a person of the land, if you are thrown in the ocean, it is the struggle for existence. But what will you struggle in the ocean? You may be a very big swimmer, but how long you shall swim? You will be tired. The only means is to take you out of the ocean. Even one inch above the ocean is your safety. It doesn't matter how many inches you are taken from the ocean. Similarly, the prayer is, My dear Lord Krishna, I am your eternal servant. Somehow or other, I am now fallen in this ocean. Please pick me up and fix me again as the dust of your lotus feet. This is the prayer. So Prabhupada is saying that even if we have great skills, we still depend on Krishna. 
And I like this idea of that we're in the ocean and we're swimming and we can be swimming, but all we need is the help of lifting us one inch above the ocean and we can rest and we can feel safe. We can breathe. We're not struggling for our existence. It's just one inch. We don't need that much. And that's how it is in this material existence. If we turn to Krishna, he can pull us one inch above the material existence and we can feel that relief of being able to breathe, of being able to survive, of being able to thrive. And so that is our prayer for Krishna. Just pick us up, just one inch. And I think that's also interesting in that... Um, when I'm learning about personal skills and personal development and leadership skills and you know living up to your full potential, the difference between great, you know, being someone great and being someone outstanding is just two inches more, two like they even say two millimeters more of effort, right? So here it's the same thing, just just a little bit more above the surface of the ocean, and we, we are saved. So it's just a little bit of effort on our part. Prabhupada goes on to say, so we should know in what dangerous position we are. Then there is necessity of prayer. And prayer to whom? To the supreme person to save us. Therefore, there are so many prayers in the Shastra, in the scripture. Prayers means addressing the Lord to save us from this. The real saving is to pick us up from this ocean of nescience, ignorance. Then everything is all right. As soon as we come to the knowledge that I am not this body, I am spirit soul, part and parcel of God, then our knowledge is perfect. So again, he's saying that many of us in this material world, we face dangers at every step. And yet our um, choice, the way we choose to deal with these dangers is to ignore it is to act like we're not in danger. And we are in danger. Even if we are safely tucked away in our homes, there's so much danger that can happen. Right? We've seen some severe storms here in Texas where um, you know, lightning strikes and a tree falls on top of a house. And sometimes if people are in that house and if they're in the room where the tree falls, they can be injured or hurt. So they're not even safe in the safety of their homes. Or, you know, inside their homes, a burglar can break in and, you know, kill everybody in their sleep. Again, not safe in their own homes. Um, so there's so many different ways that we can be in danger. And we choose to ignore it. We choose to ignore that, you know, I can walk outside and be hit by a bus or hit by a car or something can happen. And it's not that we live our lives in fear. It's that we live our lives depending on Krishna because we know that any at any step, at any given time, that we could be in danger and anything can happen. And so if we're depending on Krishna, we're not living in fear. We're, we're understanding that whatever is ha- going to happen is his mercy and it's for our benefit, even if it doesn't seem like it from a material point of view. In Bhagavad Gita 4.10, Krishna says, Being freed from attachment, fear, and anger, being fully absorbed in me and taking refuge in me, many, many persons in the past become purified by knowledge of me. 
And thus they all attain transcendental love for me. So how do we stay safe from danger? In Bhagavad Gita 4.16, Krishna says, Even the intelligent are bewildered in determining what is action and what is inaction. So even if we're the most intelligent, we still may not know how to deal with danger, how to deal, what to do, what not to do. In a room conversation, Srila Prabhupada said in 1977, Danger is always there because one is a new devotee, a neophyte, Kanishta Adhikari. Therefore, we have to abide by the injunction of Shastra and guided by Guru. That is all. That is our secure position. And otherwise, danger always. Those who are neophyte, they are always in danger. Therefore, their duty is to be guided by Sadhu, Shastra, and Guru. So this is the way we are saved by danger, is by depending on our spiritual master, on our guru, as well as the shastra, the scriptures, and other advanced devotees. So it's this trifecta of guidance that we can turn to. And the most important really is our guru, because they know us. Our spiritual master knows what's in our heart and what's in our mind. This past weekend, we celebrated the 75th Vyasa Puja birthday celebration of my spiritual master, Tamal Krishna Goswami. And, you know, when that happens, you tend to think, you reflect a lot about the meaning of the guru-disciple relationship, how what your guru has done for you, and the gratitude you feel. And really, the gratitude that I feel towards my spiritual master is is infinite. It's, it's a debt that can never be repaid. And so, you know, I think about every day, like how can I even start making a small dent in that debt that I owe my spiritual master, Tamal Krishna Goswami? And I know that there are certain things that he wanted from me and from all of us. He said it over and over again. But the number one thing that he wanted us to know is that he cared about each and every one of us um, tremendously. You know, as I'm going through business leadership courses, we talk about the qualities of a leader, and I'm always just so intrigued by how my spiritual master perfectly embodies all of the qualities of leaderships. For instance, they say that a leader always gives assignments to whoever they're leading. They give them some small or big assignment. And during the Vyasa Pucha celebrations, many people talked about how Gurudev would ask them about how many rounds they were chanting and would give them some small assignment about how many rounds to chant after understanding what their position is. So that's the other thing is that a spiritual master always, or a leader always takes time to understand what's going on with the other person and can guide them accordingly. And we heard over and over again stories such as this. The other thing is they lead with stories. And we see this with both Gurudev and Prabhupada, that they tell us stories that we can see as examples, that we can see ourselves in, that we can see that this is not a difficult endeavor, especially if we take shelter of our spiritual master and Krishna. They always challenge us. 
Right? We have our San Kirtan Marathon festivals. We have different things that our guru always challenges us to do. It could be with the spirit of fun competition. It can be a competitive um, nature within ourselves. You know, I remember when I first met Srila Gurudev, and he asked me how many rounds I was chanting, and I told him four. This is at the time I was in college, and I was co- it was close to um, coming up on summer break. And he said, well, you're going to be done for the summer. He challenged me at that time to do 16 rounds. You know, when I listen to so many lectures of uh, from Tamal Krishna Goswami, every time he always either gives a challenge or he says, let's do this, let's give a small assignment, let's at least read this much or at least chant with this kind of attention. So he's always guiding and giving some takeaway action that we can do immediately. And the final thing that a spiritual master does is give us vision, um, or a leader does is give us vision, a vision of how things can be better, of how things can be, how we can be. And we see that quality all the time in um, Gurudev, that he always shows us that what is it like in the spiritual world? What is it that we want to do and establish here in the material world? What what was Prabhupada's mission? What is Prabhupada's mission? And how can we contribute to that mission? So he takes us along with that. But the most important thing, like I said, is that he lets us know how much he cares. In one of my favorite lectures is uh, Evening Darshan in January 1995 here in Dallas. Gurudev says, The actual fact is that the spiritual master will help you so that you don't fail. And if the spiritual master sees you failing and you trip, the spiritual master will pick you up. And if you fall, they'll pick you up again. And if you fall, they'll pick you up again. And they'll keep picking you up again and again, just like a parent picks up a child that is learning to walk. The parent never gives up hope. The parent never stops hoping. That I know because the parent knows that actually my child is meant to walk. So it is just a question of time till the child walks properly. In the same way, the spiritual master knows that everyone is eternally the servant of Krishna. Therefore, the spiritual master never stops trying to deliver the disciple. So the disciple should never fear. Never, ever fear. Sorry, <laughs> just got a little choked up. Um, so, you know, our spiritual master has that much caring for us. It's unconditional and envelops us. We can feel that love and caring with everything, every step of guidance. And this relationship in our spiritual life is the most important relationship that we have. You know, last week was, I think last weekend was Father's Day. And, you know, I often say that, well, one, that my dad, he was also very concerned and caring about my spiritual and all of his children's spiritual well-being. You know, we grew up um, singing 
bhajans coming to the temple. Ever since I can remember, I've been coming to a Hare Krishna temple wherever we lived. We moved around a lot. And I have this picture, and I posted it on my Facebook, of me and Tamal Krishna Goswami and my dad. And I and this was back oh, a long time ago, 1995, I think. And I felt like this was the moment that my dad handed over my spiritual well-being over to Tamal Krishna Goswami, my spiritual master. And and that's how it is, right? It's Gurudev is my spiritual master, but he's also my spiritual father. And I and I feel that with every ounce of my being that he cares for me that much, as much as or even more than my actual my father did. And my father loved me a lot. There's I have no doubt about that either. And so for me to say that I feel that that Gurudev loved me even more is speaking volumes. Also last week, uh, Nirjala Kadasi marked the 25th anniversary of my taking initiation of Tamal Krishna Goswami, of being formally accepted and initiated into Srila Prabhupada's movement. 25 years is half a century, and Gurudev just turned 75, so he was, what, 50? And I have to think, again, in just a few years, I'll be as old as he was when he initiated me. And I haven't even accomplished a fraction of what he's accomplished in terms of spreading Krishna's movement. So that's really what the focus is then, right? How do we please our guru? How do we please Krishna and surrender unto him? And we use our um, talents and skills you know, Gurudev was really good about figuring out what we're good at and having us do more of that. And also, he was good at knowing what we needed to do to surrender, even if we weren't good at it. I remember one time he sent me out to do book distribution, and I was terrible at that. Um, I think maybe I sold a couple of books, if even. But I remember being harassed by... Um, this crazy guy, and I just, I felt like that was not what I wanted to be doing. And Gurdiv never pushed me to go out on books again, but I understood that he wanted me to have that experience, to understand that this is what book distributors go through, and to be able to see what they're going through and experience it myself, um, and have that level of purification of just surrendering at that moment. He also told me that my duty is to be a doctor and to heal and to educate people on what is health. And that's really what I'm working on. Um, one of the things that I've done is starting to really work on social media and expanding my presence there. So I've been putting out a series of um, videos on Instagram Reels, which are like 30 seconds or less, and on TikTok, which can be anywhere from 15 seconds to 60 seconds. And in these 30-second reels so far, I've just been talking about different ways of how we feel good and slowly using that to connect to Krishna. What I understand from reading the Bhagavad Gita is that, and understanding what is true health, is that coming up to the mode of goodness is what brings us to true health. 
and well-being. So I see that one of my duties is to come to the point of, um, help people to come to the point of motive goodness. So um, I'll stop here and see if there are any questions. The Pandavas seemed like they went through a lot of trouble. Uh, you're reading about how much protection they got from Krishna. Uh, their kids were killed. You know, they were exiled. Really, their whole life is just like one thing after another. Finally, uh, Draupadi dies in a forest fire. So, how did they? Uh, how was that protect, protection administered? to the Pandavas in such a way that they, they've got the full protection of Krishna, but they, they didn't seem to be protected from all the problems that they had to go through. So the question is, with the Pandavas um, going through all these calamities and eventually dying, even their sons being killed, um, we learned about that, in the last chapter, and even Draupadi was killed in a forest fire or died in a forest fire. So it doesn't seem like they were protected. But as if we look at it from a material perspective, from a spiritual perspective, over and over we see that Krishna and all the scriptures tell us that we're not this body, that we are eternal spiritual souls. And in that moment whatever danger was happening, they surrendered to Krishna. Even, you know, something as, as um, great as when Draupadi was in the, co- in the um, middle of the court after the gambling match, and uh, Duryodhana and his crew were trying to undress Draupadi, and she kept trying to hold on to her sari and just, you know, was fighting being... Um, assaulted in such a way. I mean, basically, she was being sexually assaulted in front of all these men. And when she surrendered to Krishna, just let, please protect me, and she raises her hands up in surrender, because that is universal symbol of surrender. It doesn't matter what religion you are. When you raise your arms up, it's like this symbol of surrender. And she's no longer holding on to her sari, but Krishna protects her by giving her more and more endless cloth that they could never disrobe her. So that was a visual protection that we can see. The other levels of protection sometimes we don't see, especially when it comes to our own lives. You know, we may get hurt, we may have a broken leg or, you know, end up in a coma. But what we don't see is the karma that we're playing off, that we're burning off to be able to go forward, or the challenges and the lessons that we're learning with those calamities that allows us to be free and surrender even more. So in the case of the Pandavas, they're already pure devotees, and they understand their relationship to Krishna. So they just surrender. Whatever you want. If you want me to die, I'm going to die. If you want me to live, I'm going to live and do whatever it is that you want to do. And if they die, they know that they're not really dead. The body may be dead, but the soul, the, the actual being of who they are, continues on and goes to the spiritual world and they get to be with Krishna or wherever he wants to send them because that's how surrendered they are. We're 
starting the prayers of Queen Kunti, and you know her prayers are very intense. She's not just praying to save me from calamity. She's not just praying, you know, whatever your will is, I'll accept this. She's praying, send me more, because then I will be able to think of you more. You know, she's not saying just, you know, I'll handle this, don't send me any more. She understands that Krishna will send her as much as she asks for, and she wants all of it, because then she can remember Krishna. Prabhupada said that we think of Krishna in times of danger. We don't think of him, I mean, we... Some of us do, but some mostly we don't tend to think of him that much when we're in times of joy and bliss and everything's going well. For those of us that are more in touch with that, we, we use that feeling of gratitude to understand that whatever we have, good or bad, is due to Krishna and our relationship with Krishna. And it's not um, belittling, it's not demeaning, it's not um, petty. You know, if we were going through something bad, it's not God, oh, well, you do this when I'm going to punish you. It's more of a um, reformation. Like, here's something that you can learn from and grow from, not just recrimination for the sake of, you know, punishing you. As we see more in the modern jail system, right? It's not really any reform reforming of our prisoners. It's more just like you're in prison, you've you're being punished, and that's all there is to it. And you'll continue to be punished for the rest of your life. So, does that make sense? Yeah. What other questions? Are there? 